On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are going to be talking about the economy. We've heard that the Premier is shutting down all but essential services in Ontario. What does that mean? Who's going to qualify for that? And what does this mean long term? I mean, this is a giant, a necessary step perhaps, but a giant sledgehammer to the economy. How do we get out of this when this is all done? We're also going to be chatting on a slightly happier note about the Around the Bay race. An event, one of the big events in the city of Hamilton, looked like it was dead for this year. It has perked back to life. Different time. We'll see how many people show up, but it's back. We'll be talking about that one. And Don Robertson, as he does every Monday, joins me to talk sports. And today we're going to be asking about the Olympic decision by Canada. Is it the right decision? And what about the athletes? How do you now decide which athletes, when the Olympics actually do happen, how do you decide which athletes get to go? Stick around. You might enjoy. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. You heard, as we said just a moment ago in the introduction, you have heard or will hear if you haven't already, although I'd be surprised if you haven't, that Ontario Premier Doug Ford announced today that beginning at midnight tomorrow, for two weeks, all non-essential businesses in the province of Ontario are going to be shuttered. If you are not working in an essential business, you can work from home. But as far as your stores or anything else, uh, you're, you're not operating. People are not going in to your stores, to your restaurants. What does this mean? And in a broader sense, which may be a, a much bigger question, certainly is a bigger question that we're going to have time to fully deal with right now. But what does this mean long-term for our economy when you essentially shut down the entire, by mandate, shut down the entire economy of a province, of a country for two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, whatever time it is. Brian Kingston is Vice President of the Business Council of Canada. He joins us now. Brian, how are you tonight? Good, how are you? I'm doing okay. Thanks for doing this. I really appreciate you taking some time. Uh, you you heard the announcement today. You've, I'm sure, looked at this very carefully to what this means. From your perspective, what does it? What counts as an essential service, or what doesn't? What do you expect to be closed or not closed broadly? Well, broadly, an, an essential service uh, is anything that we need to keep uh, the critical things that the Canadians and Ontarians need uh, in a, every single day. So, food, energy, transportation, uh, chemicals that, that purify and clean water, keeping the financial markets open. These are all things that absolutely cannot stop. Um, but it's not as simple as, as that. There are other areas that are gray areas that can be more difficult to determine whether or not they're critical. Uh, so, you know, for example, manufacturing, you may be part of the manufacturing supply chain and you have to determine whether or not the product that you're producing is critical and it must be produced going forward. So there, there will be gray areas and there will be debate around what is absolutely essential. But at the end of the day, we need to make sure that Ontarians have uh, you know, food, heat in their home, clean water, uh, and those uh, those essential services available. And, and you make a great point, and that is, I mean, so many parts of our economy, I, I, I don't know what the percentage is, but 80, 90, whatever, is all so intricately, in, intricately intertwined that it's really hard to pull one of those out and say, well, that by itself is not essential, but you take it out and something that's essential falls apart. That's exactly it. I mean, just think about the uh, the information technology IT space. So much of our economy now is delivered over the internet. 
uh, is we, we have a services economy. 70% of our GDP is services-based. So workers in those areas that keep our critical IT infrastructure going, they are absolutely essential uh, and, and they have to be allowed to continue to work and will be. But it, it, everything is so intertwined now that it is very difficult to isolate uh, essential from non-essential. So uh, a, a real challenge for the government to do that. This is, um, and I'm, I'm certainly not breaking any news here, I feel almost stupid saying it because it's so obvious, but this is going to be crippling to the broader economy, but also to so many businesses directly. This is going to be just a sledgehammer over the head, isn't it? It is, and this is truly unprecedented. I mean, we've never had a scenario where, where the government um, is intentionally closing down the economy for two weeks. However, At least, um, at are, least. At least, at least. Uh, that's in a best case scenario. Um, it is the right thing to do. Um, we have a health crisis, and rather than let this carry on uh, and and not contain the virus, hopefully by taking aggressive measures now, we'll be able to contain it and return to a level of normalcy. But the important thing here is to make sure the the economy is not completely on life support. The government has to introduce measures that will help companies survive through this, and importantly, allow employees to continue to receive a paycheck. So they can go out and purchase things when this is all over and we can get the economy moving again. Because, uh, and I'm not the economist, you are. I want to make that clear to anybody listening who doesn't regularly listen to my show. I do not claim to be an economist by any measure. But if you have a store or a company and you go bankrupt, you can't pay your bills. And that means the next person down the line can't get the money for that. And they may be in financial difficulty and so on and so on and so on. It goes back to the intertwined thing. We have to have some sort of economy, don't we? It's still, even though we're shutting down, we still have to have some kind of economy. Exactly. And that's why we're asking for a couple of things. We're hoping that the government will make more credit available to companies, both small and large, that need cash to make it through these next few weeks so that they have the liquidity to keep you know, paying their bills and keep the store uh, functional so that when this goes, uh, this is past this, they can continue operations. And secondly, and very importantly, rather than uh, laying off employees and putting them into the EI system, and as we heard this week, 500,000 Canadians have applied for EI. Those numbers will absolutely increase. There should be a way to support businesses to allow to keep these people on their payroll so that you don't put them into the system that's overburdened, and you keep that connection between the employer and and the employee so that when this is behind us, people can start working again and we can move forward as best as possible. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. We are chatting with Brian Kingston, the Vice President of the Business Council of Canada, about what is going on with this announcement today that the province is going to be forcing the closure of all but essential businesses beginning at midnight tomorrow. And Brian, reading a bunch of stuff uh, over the last 24 hours or so, I read something that I thought was intriguing. The, The person in it, it was a business person, said, they were concerned in this particular circumstance, the cure to what's going on might be more painful than the disease. And then I read another comment by a former medical officer of health. He says the panic is going to cause more pain than the illness itself. Now, I I don't think anyone's belittling or mocking what's going on with coronavirus, but if this shutdown lasts for any extended period of time, could they be right? examples of of other countries who've managed to to get through this and get their economies going um, by using different techniques and you know I look at for example what Taiwan's done where they've introduced 
very aggressive testing. Um, they take temperatures of, of citizens. And, you know, any building you enter into, you're having your temperature taken before you go to work. So there are ways, if we can contain the virus now by keeping people home and flattening the curve, and then you introduce new procedures to make sure that if it does flare up again, which is almost inevitable, uh, it's quickly identified and people are isolated. I think we can get back to a level of normalcy, um, you know, sooner rather than later. So I, I, I frankly think the government has very little choice but to do this, given the potential uh, if this gets out of hand. And, of course, the impact on, on the health of Canadians and the economy would be far, far worse. I mean, it does sound, it does come across, it seems like a no-win situation. You have to do what you have to do, but then what's waiting down the road could be a giant headache, too. Absolutely, but I'm hopeful that we'll see effectively a V-shaped recovery. What happens in a scenario like this where people are forced to stay home, obviously no consumption is occurring in any real significant way. People aren't buying cars, they're not buying homes. But when this passes, and with the correct stimulus from government to get people working again, there's going to be a lot of demand, and, and people will be out there in the market wanting to resume their normal lives again. So hopefully we'll see an aggressive recovery of the other side. Um, it's still, you know, not not uh, belittling the fact that this is going to be very painful, um, but I'm hopeful that we'll see a strong rebound, and most economists are expecting that to be the case. The one thing I'll note, though, of course, is a lot depends on how our largest trading partner handles this situation. The U.S., where 75% of our exports go, some economists are predicting it will shrink by 20% in the second quarter, which is just, you know, uh, the unfathomable figures. And if they're not able to contain this and move forward, and the economy limps along, that's going to have a very negative effect on Canada over a longer term. There are many people, and I don't want to be overly negative about this, I think I'm being realistic, but there's many people who say a recession is almost, of some kind, is almost an inevitability with something like this. And it seems as if very often when we're in a recession, people do pinch their pennies a little bit tighter because they're concerned about spending because they don't have the money. How do we... You know, you're talking about that we come out of this and we all, we all kind of get back to some kind of normalcy. How do we make that happen and not have the typical response to a recession, which is don't spend? Well, the best way for that to happen is for the government to start thinking about it right now with the, the help of the, the business sector. We need to have a plan. I know that right now everyone has been overcome with dealing with the, the current crisis, which is understandable. But we need to be thinking about, you know, what does the economy look like in two or three months and how do we help get Canadian spending again? So, um, you know, I, I look back to the financial crisis and some of the measures that were implemented, tax credits to encourage home renovations. Um, in the U.S., they had a cash for clunkers program where people were encouraged to turn in old cars and we get a significant mm -hmm. rebate uh, to purchase a new vehicle. So there, there are all kinds of things that can be done. The question is, and this is why it's important that we keep employees on the payroll as long as possible, if, if you do see unemployment spike to, uh, to you know, really significant levels, it doesn't matter what incentives the government provides, people will be very nervous to spend any money that they have because they'll, you know, they'll want to make sure that they're being prudent. Of course. Uh, I have read, and I'm sure you have too, on social media, we all have time now, so we've probably been spending too much time. <laughs> But one of the common, not with everybody, but there is a, a, a string of thought, a, a train of thought here that some people have, and that is, let's just put the economy in some sort of state of suspended animation so that you don't have to pay your bill. Everybody, we'll all do it together so that nobody has to pay our bills or whatever, because we're all taking this big time out. 
that's an completely unrealistic. There's too many moving parts in an economy to contemplate something like that, correct? That we could all just say, okay, for three months, we're going to pretend that we're asleep and then we'll get back to normal. That can't happen. No, not not really. I mean, there there are little measures that can be introduced. For example, you know, the, the banks giving uh, uh, people uh, the ability to push off mortgage payments uh, for small businesses, the ability to, to push back your, your rent a few months. So, you know, in a way, you can do a very short-term suspension. But there are so many parts of our economy that, that simply can't be put on hold. I mean, just think about uh, in Ontario, we have a huge agri-food and food manufacturing sector. Uh, these are products that are you're either growing them or harvesting them. You can't simply stop. Uh, you have to keep uh, producing these goods and packaging them and selling them um, and taking care of animals and livestock, for example. So there are huge elements of the economy that, that simply can't go into suspended animation. It's just not possible. And the idea that some have had either with rent or with food, that you say, well, we just give the, this stuff. We let people have free rent for this time or we let people have free food. That's a great idea, I suppose, until you realize there's people who have to pay to heat that house or to raise that cow or harvest that corn or whatever it is. It's not like anything lives in isolation. Yeah, well, you know, this ultimately leads to the question of what what is the fiscal financial capacity of the federal government? Um, We've heard the finance minister speak about Canada's strong balance sheet, which is true when you compare it uh, internationally. But there, there is a limit, of course, to, to how much government intervention there can be uh, in the economy. So, you know, in a worst case scenario, if this had to go on for months and months uh, with the, the government basically acting as a as the lender of last resort, um, there will be a limit to that. Um, we, we can't borrow uh, indefinitely. Brian Kingston, Vice President of the Business Council of Canada, really appreciate you taking some time today. I know you're busy. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, no problem. Thanks. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. You know what job I would not have wanted to have over the past couple of weeks? Actually, there's a lot of jobs I probably wouldn't want to have had. Nurse, doctor, hospitality sector, anything. Anybody who's self-employed, folks with who work at arenas or stay. I mean, there's a lot of jobs, I guess, now that you think of it, that you really would not have wanted to have over the past number of weeks. But included in there... Closer to home, I would not have wanted to have to have done what Anna Lewis has been doing for the last little while, last week, week and a half. She is the race director of the Around the Bay race. It's one of the bigger events. You know all about Around the Bay. It's one of the bigger events in this city. Huge draw, huge lure for people to come to Hamilton, something we're known for. Something like 8,000 people had already paid their dues and signed up to be in this year's race. And then because of coronavirus... You're supposed to run, I believe it was March 29. All of a sudden you can't do it. Well, now what do you do? I mean, you can cancel it, which that was mentioned. But today we get an announcement that uh, Anna has figured this thing out, does not have to be canceled. Anna Lewis joins us now. Anna, how are you today? Oh, good, thanks, uh, considering all that's happening in the world. <laughs> well, I guess when you know when you took over the job and they said, all you got to do is organize this little race, and they didn't tell you about coronavirus that would be hitting you down the road a little ways in some of these things, right? I mean, it's uh, these are huge challenges. Definitely. Uh, that certainly is a curveball. Um, th- this race has been running for, you know, 100 and this would have been the 126th uh, anniversary. And so it was a well-oiled machine and you can count on the, the same volunteers and the, the same stakeholders to, to come on board, but you certainly can't um, foresee something like uh, the coronavirus. 
that's for sure. How far back, because um, we saw, you know, the NBA cancel and then the NHL cancel, and you guys were a couple days later, and I, I understand why you were trying to figure this out, but how far back were you starting to worry that something like this could happen? Uh, you know what, we, we started the uh, the week of um, March, let me look at my calendar, week of March 9th. We, you know, certainly we've been hearing grumblings all over, but the week of March 9th, we were really starting to think about, okay, what's going to happen? Are we going to make it? Uh, you know, we were certainly in touch with public health a lot. Uh, wanted to just kind of always touch base. And, uh, you know, we had we had talked to them on March 12th. Um, and so we, we ended up canceling on March 13th or deciding not to proceed on March 29th. How many, before you pulled the plug, and we'll get to the new date in just a second, but before you pulled the plug, how many variations or contemplations of ways that you could have run the race did you go through? Uh, How many different things did you try to figure out about how we could do this, even if there was a coronavirus and still keep people safe? Or was it very quick? Well, no, certainly throughout that that week, we were thinking of different measures that we could implement to uh, have a very safe and hygienic type of race. So uh, we and we will continue to uh, look at these, you know, different measures on how we can make it safe in November. Um, So we're we're constantly looking at how we can, uh, you know, make it safe for everybody. So we're going to work a little backwards here, I think. But you do have a new date, um, which is November the 22nd. Mm-hmm. Which is yeah. which is there's a bunch of things about November 22nd which I had to look up today because I knew it was Grey Cup Sunday I had remembered that and obviously November 22nd is JFK assassination day which has nothing to do with you guys but just you know a little historic footnote and it was the day the Beatles White Album was released so you know there's that too there's you, you guys you guys are, are jumping onto history here it's a great day there's all kinds of stuff that happened that day but is is November 22nd a good time for a road race? Well I think. Certainly for the around the bay, there's never a a bad day. (laughs) But, uh, you know, in March, uh, you're always um, having to look at different types of weather. So I think that would be the same in November. Uh, We could very well have snow. We could very well have cold weather. And we can possibly have warm weather. Um, And that would be the same if it was in March as well. So um, whenever you're dealing with an outdoor activity, especially a running race, Weather is always a, a factor and, you know, roll of the dice, really. Do people ever complain about the weather or do they know that, hey, you know what, one of the interesting attractions of Around the Bay is that we could wake up on the day of the race and have no idea and that's an interesting dynamic to throw into the mix? Absolutely. I think the Around the Bay has certain uh, challenges and I think that's what runners want is this challenge to train in the winter, to conquer uh, a very difficult course uh, to run a, a unique distance, uh, which is a challenging distance, and to uh, subject yourself to the weather, the, the question mark um, on race day. What would be, though, the one thing, if you were going to get complaints from runners, what would be the weather condition that they would hate? Is it the rain? Is it snow? Is it wind? Is it cold? Is it warm? What, what would be the thing they would all say, oh, please, Anna, if you could control the weather, do this one thing, prevent this one thing? Freezing rain is the worst. Oh, yeah. I guess so. That sounds horrible. Yeah, that's that. You can deal with pretty much the other elements, um, but freezing rain is is just too uh, difficult to to get your your footing on. This is also, as I mentioned off the top, this is a falling on Grey Cup Sunday. Um, mm-hmm. That is, uh, at first blush, people might say, "Oh, that's not good timing." You guys run the race in the morning, though. 
We do. So we start fairly early. We start at 9.30 is our 30K start. And um, we have a four and a half uh, hour course time limit. So they should be done by two o'clock. And, uh, you know, usually by 2.30, nobody even knows that there was a race uh, that went on because uh, the city and, and all our volunteers and, and um, vendors and suppliers take care of cleaning up so quickly that it, we're back to normal in no time. You would have to be a really, really, really slow person <laughs> to miss the Grey Cup then is your point. Yeah. And you know what? We want everyone to to participate in any type of uh, festivities, especially if we're going to cheer on the Thai Cats. Uh, so we, we definitely want to be ready for them. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. We're talking to Anna Lewis, race director of the Around the Bay Race, who has managed to find a different date. And Anna, I will, uh, I will congratulate you for that because when you announced that this was postponed uh, or cancelled, I was pretty sure that what you meant was cancelled. I didn't think you'd be able to pull it together this quickly. Um, how did you, in a week and a bit, find, go through, like, let's go through some of the things that you have to be able to put together to make this happen. Uh, your finish line, and really the start line, sort of, uh, certainly where you have your sign-in and everything is First Ontario Centre. How did you find a day? that Because the Bulldogs play and there's other stuff in the winter. How do you find a, an open weekend for them there? So that that was probably, uh, you know, the first step, actually. Uh, so we we connected with the First Ontario Centre uh, staff there and, and asked for some available dates. And there were some that were kind of earlier uh, in the fall, and we, we, we didn't think that that was um, right for us. And then uh, we we went in. There's nothing really in October, and there's also a number of marathons and running um, events that are in October. So we wanted to stay clear of them, and that if people wanted to participate in those events, then they could still participate in the Bay Race. So, um, yeah, looking at the calendar and what kind of fit with other activities uh, in the city, uh, we landed on November 22nd. But First Ontario Centre was certainly uh, in the middle of that, um, you know, choosing that date. Uh, but then we, you know, we have to talk to the city of Hamilton, the city of Burlington, um, people at the lift bridge, uh, the port authority. Uh, we talked to our our partners, our sponsors, and um, and and the police services. Uh, for and we use three police services: we uh, Halton, uh, Hamilton, of course, and the OPP. So we wanted to make sure that we had coverage. Um, if we were to move to this date, and because it's so busy uh, with events, there's parades, there's um, different activities, there's the Grey Cup. Uh, we wanted to make sure that we would be um, able to find police coverage as well. You mentioned other races, and there are. There's the uh, Hamilton Marathon around then, or a little bit earlier, and the Toronto Waterfront Marathon, and I believe the Niagara Marathon. It, right. it would be um, fa- fair to describe it as poor form if you were to drop the Around the Bay race on one of those dates or some other significant event? Absolutely. I mean, we're all part of this same running community and we want to support each other and we want our uh, runners to um, participate in as many running events as possible. So we we wouldn't want to do that for sure. Is there any guarantee that some other event, because now everyone's going to be scrambling because a lot of other events are going to have to move their date, even though you're one of the earlier ones. Um, Mm -hmm. Any other, any guarantee that someone else doesn't put their race on your day? There's no guarantee. Um, absolutely, there's no guarantee, but we're hopeful that um, we can all find space in the calendar for, for all our events. Um, events are are helpful in many ways um, to keep people active, 
to get out there and uh, to uh, do something. And, and we support a lot of vendors and suppliers mm. as well. So, um, you know, many of the, uh, the so suppliers are now in, in a in a, a difficult position as well because they feed all the events, right, with our rental of tables and chairs and, um, you know, our, our race kit who um, handles our course uh, you know, so and timing, you know, all those all those vendors are now um, all in the same boat in terms of um, having lost events. So will Anna Lewis be on the phone with a stinky call to someone if you find out they've dropped a, a race on your date? Or do you just shrug at that point if that happens? You know what? I, this is a very unusual circumstance. Uh, this is a very unusual year. This is not, you know, when we normally have our event. And so I think everyone's just trying to do the best they can in this situation. So I think uh, we're all going to be very understanding in this very uncertain time. So I think we're all we're all very open-minded, I think. What about the runners themselves? Because I've never done the 30K. I cannot imagine myself ever doing the 30K, but I've talked to a lot of people who have. And the November 22nd time would be for a lot of them either at the kind of the beginning of their real training through the winter to get up to that it, Will there be a lot of people who might have run who can't because they aren't going to be trained? Or do you expect that now that they have eight months to prepare that you'll see a lot more people training through the summer? I, I think runners um, have a, a racing calendar that they that they plan. So, you know, if the Round the Bay was the start of it, now it's maybe going to be the end of it. So there's going to be races that they're going to participate in in the middle. Uh, certainly with the three uh, running events that you mentioned, Niagara, Hamilton, and uh, Toronto, uh, they've already started their training. They already actually have a great base, so they can continue on and just ma- maintain their, their training to participate in our race. And then after our our race in November, they can again maintain, and then they can lace up the runners again for March twenty eighth, twenty twenty one. Do we know? Do we have? Do you have any idea how many people are going to show up? You had almost eight thousand, or roughly eight thousand, signed up. Do you know what percent will come? No, I mean that's. I don't have a magic ball, but um, we're hopeful that we get some of them. Uh, we, we've given uh, runners the option to decide until October 1st because it's very uncertain right now what's happening. Uh, we want people to, to not make a, a decision without feeling good about it. So uh, we're giving everybody till October 1st to decide whether they want to run in the November race or defer and run in March. So really, we don't know, but we, you know, we already have our shirts and our medals, so we're we're (laughs) ready to go in that regard. (laughs) And eight months doesn't give you enough time, though, to get Heartbreak Hill back in place. Well, that's to be determined. Uh, It doesn't, I mean, I don't know yet. Uh, I'm going to follow up with the city, but, you know, they're busy doing other things, and I don't want to distract them from what they need to do, but uh, it depends uh, if the bridge can be, can be uh, modified in time. Well, there's not a lot of traffic because everyone's stuck at home, so maybe now's the time for them to rebuild it. We'll just put that bug in their ear. That, that's hopeful, yes. That's, that would be great. Anna Lewis, race director for the Around the Bay, and I say congratulations because I didn't think it was going to be possible, but you somehow pulled it off in a week and a bit and uh, didn't think you could do it, but way to go. Thank you. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Let me bring in Don Robertson, who is here every Monday at this time. He owns and operates the Dundas Real McCoys when they're playing. Uh, he runs ComChoice Realty. I don't know how the house sales business is going right now, but he does a lot of stuff in Dundas, and uh, this may be the busiest he's been all day today. I'm not sure. How are you, Don? 
<laughs> good, Scott. No, it's been a busy day. Oh, good. All right. Well, got to be doing something, right? Yeah, uh, don't stop. Well, you know what how does... You do, how, you, how you do them changes, but they don't stop. Well, you know what does stop? Uh, the Olympics, apparently. So Canada yesterday night, last night at about 7 or 8 o'clock, sends out a an announcement that the Canadian Olympic team, Canada will not be sending, COC, Canadian Olympic Committee, will not be sending a team to Tokyo if the Olympics are going ahead. And we heard earlier today that Dick Pound from Montreal, the Olympic, uh, the IOC member, says there is a plan apparently in place that to postpone the Olympics. Is this the right decision? Yeah, it is. I think it's uh, foolhardy to think that you can keep moving along with the Olympics. And there's a lot of reasons. There's a lot of moving parts. Uh, I actually know some people that have been over there working for the Wasserman Group who represent a lot of big clients and getting ready for it. But the reality is you have to come back to the athletes at some point and take the corporations out of it. Every other major sporting league and association in the world have done this. Uh, you know, albeit it's not, it's, it's a number of weeks away, but you have to think about the athletes training and their safety and they need training routines. You know what I mean? Like if they're, if an athlete knows they're going to the Olympics and they know three years in advance, you know, there's a plan for training. It's very regimented. It's very, food-driven, nutrition-driven. Um, they have to peak at a certain time. That's all off the rails for everybody around the world. So they made the right call. You just can't do it right now. I Earlier, uh, Dick Pound had said that by, and I can't remember where he said this, but by May, thereabouts, you would have to make this call. My only question, and, and look, I, I do think that in all likelihood, this is probably going to be shown to be the right call. But my question is, if if someone who's in the IOC says you could have waited till May to make this call, why do it now? Maybe it's the right call. I, I don't know. But I would, is there a rush, I guess, is the question. Well, a couple of things. I, I can't imagine the people in Japan are all that happy about Dick, Dick Pound deciding he's going to leak this information out if, if, in fact, he did, and it's factual. But again, I go back to my comments. The reality is these athletes need time to prepare. Everything in Canada is shut down, for the most part, and the U.S. They don't have training facilities. They don't have coaches. There's self-isolation. I don't think you can expect to get the best results or to put on a product that the Olympic Games would be happy with. Would you ever tell a difference? Probably not. Would any records be set? Would personal bets be set? If, in fact, you believe, like I do, that, that these athletes just prime themselves for the actual week of the Olympics and when they're going to perform, and that's taken away from them, I think that has to be taken into consideration. I, I, I don't know if it was. No, your point, there is a great point in there that you just made, and that is n not so much and. Not so much the delay for delays purposes, but how do you possibly train in the meantime? If you're a basketball team, you can't be training together. If you're a pairs badminton team, you're not supposed to be training together. I mean, it, it does become, uh, you know, a bit of a conundrum that even if you get to May and you say, all right, well, you know what? Things are settling down a bit. Are you really prepared to go and compete there? I mean, 
I suppose many of them would. I just don't know how good they'd be at that point relative to their best. That's my point. I don't think you'd see world records, and I don't think you'd see personal bets, and I think a lot of them are taking a pause in their training and ramping up for the Olympics. That can't be an ideal situation. I I mean, I think there's a big difference between preparing for the Olympics and some have been preparing for it for four years, but I only get one shot at it. That's probably irrelevant. I mean, it's a personal thing, but it's a little bit irrelevant. But it's not like putting the Leafs and every other NHL team back on a 10-day training program on the ice because, remember, their training camps are like three days long and they start exhibition games. Then everybody's on the same playing field, but nobody's looking for personal bets in the Olympics. Everybody would be the same as they would be in the Olympics, but I think it takes away from what they can do. I mean, even sprinters, even gymnasts, and everybody else have one-on-one coaching. They're not doing that now. Like, everything should be shut down. I have heard so much. There's been tons of athletes that have now been asked about this and have given answers and have been on TV or given interviews, whatever. And to a person... I haven't seen one yet that hasn't said this is the right decision, but Don, I've got to believe when you, with what you're just talking about, and we all know this, with the years you pour into this and the sacrifices you make, I mean, look, the the NHL players, the NBA players, yeah, they've got million dollar contracts, but most of the people who are going to be competing in the Olympics don't. They're, They're sacrificing and they might make money if they come home with a gold medal or do something remarkable. If you're a Penny Alexiak, yeah, you can come home and you can make some good money. But for most of them, that's not the reality. They're doing this to sacrifice. I got to believe, Don, that most of these athletes, while they are sitting in front of the camera saying, and probably believing this is the right decision, it's killing them to say that because of what they've given up to have the chance to compete. Scott, of the two of us here, you're, you're the pro. You interview athletes on a regular basis. You write great columns by guys that aren't professional athletes who look you in the eye and give you the truth and tell you what's going on. So many of these guys are programmed like professional athletes are no matter what it is. You know what? We're taking it day to day. We're giving 100%. We're going to try and do better tomorrow. Blah, blah, blah. The Olympic athletes are doing the same thing. Nobody wants to paint themselves into a corner by being the bad guy. But you got to know that there was an awful lot of glass and stuff wrecked when they made this. Because athletes are picking stuff up and firing it against the wall saying, are you friggin' kidding me? Yeah. And then they come on the radio and then they are on TV or talk to a columnist like you. And all the perfect lines come out. You know, under the circumstances, it's the right thing to do. And they may as well say, and this is the right thing to say. There are a lot of them not happy. A lot of them will get the chance. The good news is it looks like they're going to postpone it for a year and probably nobody will lose their shot at it. No, and that is better than a cancellation. I think that's important. Sure it is. That's better than a cancellation. But even so, if if you ever talk to some of these Olympians, and I have, they have basically put their life on hold for, in some cases, four years, where every single thing in their life, their diet, their sleep, their work, their workouts, their every, their social life has all 
been geared around this. There is nothing else in their life but the Olympics at the end of the road. And even though it's only a delay, and even though it's only a postponement, and even though we'll say it's only a year, it is, I know when you talk to them, it kills them to say, oh, it's just another year. It's Imagine that with your work, yours or anyone listening, that what you do is only based on your work for four years. And then right when you're about to have the big moment that you will show all your customers or your coworkers or whatever, what you've done, they go, okay, hold off for another year and keep doing it. That That's a tough, tough position to be in. Well, uh, on a far, far less significant level, the Dundas, Real McCoys and Hamilton Steelhawks were gearing up for an Allen Cup. There's a lot of athletes that made a lot of compromises and a lot of sacrifices with their families yep. Yep. to be able to play for the Real McCoys and the Steelhawks this year because we're going to host a national championship. Again, far less significant. Lives weren't put on order, but lives were altered for the opportunity. But I couldn't agree with you more that some of these people, I mean, I don't know. It would only be a guess on my part. How many of the, how many of the men and women planned on starting a family once we get the Olympics behind us? Or a job now, or yeah, school, whatever. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now all of a sudden, you've got to compete next next year. You don't want to miss the opportunity. But some of them may just look at it and say, i got to walk away. Or spent my life, spent my life worth, you know how many gymnasts that are 12 years old and taking gymnastics right now have calculated when their year is? Yeah, no, or well, just don the other, the other, in 2020. the other part is there are athletes right now who have hung on, who are probably at the end of their career, but who have been hanging on yeah. saying, I can keep doing this. I'm 34. I'm 35, but I can do this. But now there's a year or two delay. And look, a, a year for an athlete in age, as you get up there, can make a big difference. There are athletes who will not by choice be cycled out. On team sports, on a basketball team, on a whatever else, there's going to have to be some hard decisions. And that athlete who may have played in these Olympics, a year from now you say, you know, someone's come up who's younger and now better. we got to go with them. That's... That's just, it, it's a, that's a grueling, grinding, horrible thing to contemplate for someone who sacrificed their time for this. Well, on, on another, on a flip side, the results inevitably will be altered at, at this Olympics. So it won't be in 2020. Let's, let's talk on the basis that it'll be 2021. So it won't be this year. And you talk about ages. And you talk about somebody hanging on, they're 34, they, this is their last shot. They've had to work their guts out to be at the top of the game at 34. There's another athlete that probably was in the top 10 that next year will be in the prime of their life. Yep. That their training will enhance them. And they know they'd have been better at the age of 26 than they would have been at 25 because they're just starting to peak. It will alter the success and and the awarding of medals because it will matter that much the 365 days you're listening to the scott radley show podcast on 900 chml bring don robertson back in don joins us every time every monday at this time we're talking about the olympics canada's decision not to go to the olympics if an olympics are held which doesn't sound like is even going to be the case 
But Don, the other question about this is we're talking about athletes and the disappointment and everything else is this becomes very, very complicated in one way. If the Olympics are held next year, as some people are now saying, although I heard someone else saying it might be two years from now, regardless, down the road, there are a number, a large number of Canadian athletes who have qualified already for an Olympic spot. The problem with qualification or the challenge with qualification is that the idea is you're supposed to qualify so we send our best athletes of the time to go and compete in those events. Should we allow the people who have qualified a year or two earlier to go and represent Canada or do we need to hold qualifications all over again and how do you deal with that? Well, I think uh, one of the things, Scott, I would think that when the Canadian Olympic Association said, if we're going to pull out, we're not sending you, you can't train properly, whatever all the narrative was behind that decision, I would think, and oddly enough, they didn't call me to get my opinion, but you've asked it, that they will say the team that was going to Japan is going next year. I'm sure that will be the buy-off for the disappointment and everything else. Right, wrong, or indifferent, there will be people left behind that perhaps should be going. But I think in fairness to the people that earned the opportunity to be there this year, it might be cruel and unusual punishment to bump them off a year later. That's only an opinion. No, and I think you're right. I think you're right. But I think there is a compelling argument to say Canadians have now, in probably since 2010, been conditioned to want to win. We don't want to just send people who are now two years or a year past their prime. And that year, I, listen, I agree with you that it would be cruel and unusual for someone to qualify and then to say you have to qualify all over again and they lose and they don't go. But do we want to send someone who we know there's now someone better, but we're not going to send that person because, and does that not raise problems does that not create a possible lawsuit I, I mean I don't know this this thing has become is becoming yep. just so complicated it won't it won't create a lawsuit in Canada because that's not how we operate it would in the United States we're the friendly country so people would back off people would be told you'll get your turn your turns now only three years away and this is the right thing to do and everybody's having a group hug we did the right thing we're perceived as, you know, uh, Switzerland of North America of always doing the right thing. And the reality is we're the ones that said the right thing to do is not go. If you're going to carry on, if you're going to hold them in 2020, Canada's doing the right thing, we're not going. They're certainly not going to screw that up, I don't think, by letting other athletes get in. Unless there are people that pull out, unless there are injuries, and in that case, I think the other person or the second person probably would have gone even if someone got injured in training prior to going in uh, this this summer. Pardon me. What about if it's a team that has qualified and over the next year, because teams are always changing, you've always got players coming in and going out. What if you've been part of a team that qualified and a year from now there's someone better and the team says, no, they're a better fit. Should we be able to change the teams or do they get locked into place right now? Well, it, 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 it's tough. You know, it's tough. You're a bit of a pain in the neck. Um, <laughs> the, uh, well, one, no, the reason I say that, because I believe, I believe what I say. I believe what I say is right. 
obviously, or I wouldn't say it, or at least it's my opinion. But the truth is, let's say on the women's basketball team, for example, two of the people were going because perhaps Kia Nurse was injured. No, she's not. But let's say she was injured and had knee surgery and couldn't go to the Olympics this year. Should she go or should the person that replaced her go? That's See, that's a tough one, of course. I mean, you would say I, I, Kia Nurse because she's the best player on the team. And, we're, and Don, we're going to face this if our men's basketball team makes it in. We're going to face this because you're going to have players who qualify and then all the NBA guys are going to say, hey, I want in. And all of a sudden the team, what are they going to say to the NBA guys? No, you can't play. I sound like Donald Trump. I've already contradicted myself a couple times, but I, but new thoughts come to my mind. You're right. So if there are, if there are people like that, but I think when you look at the individual sports like gymnastics, um, I don't know if they still have the hop, skip and jump, jump, but the long jump, um, some of the other things, I, I think those team or those, athletes stay in place you know gymnastics um, a trampoline and so on but the the team sports bring in a different dynamic if in fact um scott radley made the team because um donovan bailey couldn't run well donovan bailey's healthy radley i'm sorry son you're out and that's probably some of the calls they've got to make but those are injury-based, not competitive-based, and not earned on merit. And we got to go to break, but I, I don't know all the rules around the... I mean, I know that in the Olympics, different countries have different spots based on performance in the past, so certain countries could have one or two or three athletes qualify while others wouldn't. be really interesting to see if, because this is unprecedented, if the IOC would change any of those spots or allow for people who come out of the blue but haven't qualified because they want the best athletes there too so it'll be really interesting if they say okay you know what if you finish if you win a world championship in your sport or something and you haven't qualified because you're out of the you know out of the blue we'll make a space for you i don't know but something's going to happen something has to happen. well the other the other thing they may be able to do on team sports and i'm not talking about the badminton team because there's two guys on the team but if you talk about basketball and um, and soccer and so on, maybe what they can do is relax the rules because it's very unique and say each team can add two players from their original roster. It's unprecedented, so we'll have to. It's the same as if the Stanley Cup playoffs were going to come back. The format would not be normal. They would make be making exceptions to it because of the circumstances. And I'm sure the IOC will want the best guys like Coke that are putting billions in or Coke are still in or, you know, the major sponsors. They're, they're not going to want to uh, less than the absolute best there. Because if you're going to postpone it a year, then I think they'll do it. And your other comment is you'd heard maybe two years. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, which I'm sure you will. I think they've staggered them now, right? So aren't the Winter Olympics one year? Instead of them all being every four years, they alter them now? Yep. So you'd have both on the same year. So you'd have both in the same year. That would defeat your purpose. So that's why I would think it would be one year. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Joined by Don Robertson, as always, on Mondays, even though he's not in studio these days because, well, you know why. 
Uh, Don, we talked, I believe, if my memory serves, last week we talked about what would be some of the things that as sports networks scramble to fill their space, what would you like to see replayed? What would be something that you would be interested in watching again? Because they're playing old games now and that kind of stuff. And I read on sportsillustrated.com today one of the most interesting ideas, and I want to ask you what your thought would be on this one. The suggestion was to show the entire O.J. Simpson chase with the because there was an NBA game on that night, the Knicks versus the Rockets in the NBA Finals. Show the entirety of the chase with the basketball game going back and forth, but have O.J. Simpson in studio doing commentary and talking about what was going on at those particular moments. What... It, to me, it would be absolutely gross, but it would be absolutely fascinating. Well, it, it would, might be like listening to a certain president. I don't know if the commentary would have anything to do with the facts. I mean, you could certainly find out what was going through his mind, but I'm not sure he's going to tell you. I mean, a lot of what might be going through his mind is, how the hell do I get out of this? Well, maybe. I, I think it would and be. So I don't, I, I think it would be, it'd be a bit warped. I think you're right. It would be, I mean, I had my opinion when, when it was happening because I was watching. Like so many people were. It would be, it would be probably, sadly, must-see TV. Yes, that's the point. Every, nobody would admit to watching it. Everybody would watch it, especially now when you're at home and everyone's got all the time in the world. Everybody would watch that. Because everybody has time. And it's it would be a sad state of affairs, and it was such a unique time. And it was kind of, for TV, it was kind of like the Gulf War and CNN when it first came out. And, you know, they had the live shots of the bombs and everything else that kind of made CNN relevant at that time. I'm not sure how relevant they are now. And the car chase. And uh, who was that? Al Ro- who was driving him? Um, Al Cowlings. Al Cowlings, and you know, telling the telling everybody OJ's in the back seat. He's got a gun, and you know, it was just must see TV. It was drama, live drama. And for the life of me, I don't understand why they needed seventy six police cars following him down the four hundred series highway. Well, and because it was I mean, if you think about all of it, <laughs> I, it's just so I, bizarre. The I mean, not to rehash the whole O.J. Simpson thing for sure, but the thing that always struck me as impressive was that uh, this was not announced days ahead. This was a spur of the moment thing that was happening. Yeah, and people were on bridge overpasses with hand-drawn, crafted signs. It's like, where did you get Bristol board and enough magic markers and colored pens to do arts and crafts in time for him to get to your overpass? I was always impressed by... There must have been some really creative people in Los Angeles that could whip that together, unless you just carry... Do people just carry around Bristol board in their trunk? I never understood that. One of the cool parts about that whole uh, collage of events was Kardashian reinstating his legal or his uh, um, law license. Law license yep. So he didn't have to testify. I mean, that was one of the brilliant moves of all time if you want to get away with something. But that was, you know, he's the one that took the stuff out of OJ's house and now I can't testify because I'm his lawyer. Yep. Anyway, no, it's, uh, no, it's on and on because I watched the whole thing. We all did. That's we, like, 
you know, that's like my guess on your on your trivia question. And oddly enough, because I'm at home, I can hear all the commercials, but now I can pay attention to the uh, – and one of my guesses is, and I know you'd never let me do it in studio, is Isaac the Bartender, I think, was nominated. <laughs> Out of sight. <laughs> uh, it's it, – it, I would I would argue that and again this was a, it was a terrific piece in sportsillustrated.com that starts this because it was um it was a suggestion of what would be the things that this person would like to see would find fascinating they they were not making any judgment that they're not a sick person they were just saying look it would be a really fascinating thing to to have this entire thing play out in real time and have OJ Simpson commenting on it and it was like you know what that's um that it would that it would uh, Oddly enough, OJ would likely do it if they'd pay him. Well, he's on Twitter enough now. I mean, for heaven's sakes, the guy, he's uh, hes become a social media, you know, star, I suppose, if that's the right word. I, I, I question how many people are following him because they really are fans of OJ and how many are doing it for the same reason you stop and look at a car accident. Um, but nonetheless... It's the U.S. It's train wrecks, right? They're like watching them. But I know that here's some of the interesting stuff that I, the the networks are scrambling now, and some of the ideas that are popping up, and they're probably not doable because of rights fees and everything else. I mean, today I know that the TSN and Sportsnet have been taking turns. They're showing the Raptors playoff run in its entirety, which is cool. Uh, I know that Sportsnet is playing the best Jays games of all time, the championship games and stuff. That's, you know, that's cool. Um, somebody has proposed, and I, I don't think it's doable, and I, we talked about it, that you show the entirety of the 2010 Olympics in Vancouver, which I think would be tremendous. But I don't think that the IOC is going to give that, let you do that for free, um, especially now. But um, Well, I thought, I thought about what we're going to talk about over the next, six months on Mondays which is and uh, TV one of them might be one of them might be uh, replay the ugliest uniform sports teams have ever played all right we'll do that next week we'll do that next week yep good play Vancouver Canucks I would say would be at the very top of the list with the flying V that is uh, (laughs) that one that is one of the all-time most horrendous looking things whoever it was who designed that uniform and I have no idea I'm guessing though it's out on the west coast maybe they had imbibed in some happy product because nobody who was sober could have designed that just saying yeah. well it's all legal now but we still don't have them so that can't be the excuse you can well, buy it at, you can buy it uh, two miles from my place now the, the you know the stuff that makes you happy Gives you happy feet. You're not growing it in your backyard in the back forty. I wouldn't know what to do with it if I did. <laughs> uh, Don Robertson, as always, appreciate you doing this. By the way, next week you brought up a great idea. We're gonna we got already got next week's show lined up. So uh, be here next Monday. Not you. I know you're gonna be here, but I'm talking to the people out there. Be here next Monday. Don has already given me a couple topics. Ugly uniforms will be one. Send me a note. By the way, Radley at nine hundred chml dot com. But what you say is the ugliest uniform in sports history. What would be your choice for the ugliest ones? We'll we'll get to those next week. Uh, Don, appreciate you doing this. You know, by the way, we have one minute left here. You know who I feel very badly for right now with everything that's going on? The 
Uh, they announced today the Memorial Cup and the OHL playoffs have both been canceled. Teams that traded all their prospects and draft picks to get guys to help put them over the hump because the OHL is a limited window because guys graduate. Man, I feel badly for those teams now that all of a sudden they don't get to go in the playoffs and they've given away their future. That is a tough spot to be in. Well, they, they put themselves in the positions to, to be contenders. Next year, they'll be pretenders. And you're right. that just, It totally alters the building of your hockey team. And as I said to you, Scott, via text, because I'm not there, we'll talk about uh, how it alters minor hockey and everything else and people's tryouts that aren't going on. I mean, there's so many things that have been affected. But those Memorial Cup teams and those teams that challenged like Ottawa and Oshawa, and it's it changes everything. Well, you it really saw, does. It changes. You saw changes what happened the with the Bulldogs. You saw what happened with the Bulldogs. In 2017, they won. Yep. Imagine, but then the next year, they didn't stink, but they were nowhere near the same team. Imagine if that 2017 year, when you had all those guys lined up, all of a sudden you go, yeah, no playoffs. I mean, you've that window is closed. and, and with, paid the price, right? And unlike a lot of other leagues, there is an age limit, so you can't say, well, we can bring the same guys back next year. No, your best players are gone. So it's a, it is a really tough spot. Another topic, I thought about adding an age to the OHL next year, but that really hurts the kids coming up. So you can't do that either. Appreciate the time, Don. As always, thanks for doing this. Thanks, Scott. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.